Right, Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there to agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to be here this Sunday morning, to come sit under the ministry of your word, to come hear what your word has to say to our whole being, our mind and our hearts. And I thank you for the sacred scriptures. I thank you that we have the scriptures to help us in this perverse world, to govern our lives, to, to be a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, but also to help us to, to grow up in Christ and see if we are walking faithfully, humbly as well. And if we are being the salt and light, witnessing for Christ out there in our daily lives, starting in our homes, in our workplace, in our community, as we move around rubbing shoulders with people. But help me now, Father. Please help me to be clear and understood. Help us all to listen. And help us to listen with eyes as well, examining the Scriptures to see what I have to say is true. Please, Father, be merciful to all of us as we come now to hear your Word. And what a privilege it is to have the sacred Scriptures where you, Father, have made yourself known, the triune God. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Father. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you again for your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for our salvation, that we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, that we are declared right before your throne, and we can draw near with confidence and plead for grace and mercy in time of need. So help us now, Father. Help us to listen and help me to be clear. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to continue with looking at what a noble-minded Christian looks like. We looked at part one last week, and this morning, like I said, we're going to continue. But do we see ourselves as noble-minded Christians? And by the word noble, I mean excellent and good. Excellent good is what the word noble means, good and excellent. And in the context of noble-minded Christian, I mean your attitude, your behavior, your character, is good because you are here, we are here, in an unselfish way in hearing the Word of God. Do you respect the Word of God? Do you give people a fair hearing of the Word of God when they want to bring it to you and explain something to you? Now I know here in this passage, which is amazing, the, Berea, the Bereans here are not believing Christians. 
They are believing Jews. They are non-Christians. They aren't saved yet. And yeah, they give Paul the opportunity to bring the Scriptures. They receive it with eagerness. And they examine it at the same time. They are unsaved. They are, they are Jewish believers, not Christians. Do you come here this morning and give your pastor the opportunity a fair hearing of God's Word? Do you come here this morning and receive it with eagerness and then with your Bibles open in your laps or on your phone, you examine the Scriptures to see what I say is true? Because if we don't, we can't be noble-minded Christians. And sadly, there are a lot of Men, they call themselves pastors, that stand up and all they do is they tickle and entertain the people. And they all go away agreeing with what the pastor says. Instead of examining to see what he said is actually the truth. Because the God of this age, Satan, can disguise himself as an angel, an angel of light, and distort the scriptures just so slightly that it sounds like it's the truth. There's a, there's a proverb that says, sometimes you think you're doing the right thing, but it can lead to death. That's why we need to examine the scriptures. I think our biggest problem today in Christianity is our lack of respect and reverence for God's word. Which is the cause of all disorders of heart, life, conduct and church. Once we push this Bible to the side, Everything just goes downhill. Because we're pushing God out of the equation. We're pushing Christ out of the equation. Proverbs backs this up. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Wow, that is so beautiful to hear. And it keeps us on our toes. It keeps us noble-minded Christians. But once we drift from God's word, all our problems begin. Destruction is on its way. Isn't that what happened to the seven churches in Asia Minor? They drifted and showed lack of respect and reverence for God's word. It's amazing um, when you think of Isaiah says this in, in 66. And it's good to be reading your word because you come across these scriptures. 66 verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. And this is God. God says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We need a calling back to God's Word. Opening it up humbly and faithfully and beginning to learn and reason from it. And examine it as we talk to each other from the Bible. Are we proclaiming, are we demonstrating the Gospel, the good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ from the Scriptures like Paul is doing here? There are many who don't do that. Who don't demonstrate the gospel of truth from the scriptures. Like I've said, we actually don't do much from the sacred scriptures anymore. 
Because it's from the scriptures that we explain the truth of Christianity. But are we doing that? Are we faithful to the sacred scriptures? And I mentioned Ezra last week. What a great Old Testament high priest. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and then to preach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. What a great man. He studied it, then he practiced it because people could see it being worked out in his life and then he taught it as an exemplary Old Testament priest. He was a noble-minded Israelite, a noble-minded Hebrew. And noble-minded Christians will find the time to read God's Word, they will find the time to study God's Word, and they will find the time to practice in the truths they learn into their daily lives. We have a practical book here, which, is, which needs to be applied to daily living. Is it easy? No. That's why we have to meet and encourage each other, to stir each other to love and good works, because we can go to sleep and become complacent. So what we see here in Berea is Paul's attitude, the speaker, and we see the Bereans' attitude, the hearers, and we see their noble-minded attitude towards Scripture. So, before we take a look at our second thing from Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 15, we'll have a rest. No, that's fine. This is listening to scripture. Yeah. Come back, noble-minded Christian. Call him back. Alright. So before we look at our second thing from Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 15, that shows that shows us what a noble-minded Christian looks like. Yes, yeah, just a brief summary, a brief recap on this, on that, our first thing that we looked at last Sunday. And that was, they received the word with eagerness. And we saw that in verses 10 to 11 of Acts chapter 17. And what amazes me is that, yeah, we see Paul and Silas coming to Berea. We know that they've been kicked out of Thessalonica. They've traveled 81 kilometers to Berea. And what do they do when they arrive? Do they go sightseeing? Do they go and find a hotel and rest and hang their feet up for a while? No. They go straight into the synagogue once it's open. Once they can get into the synagogue, that's where you find them. That was Paul's custom, to proclaim the gospel of Christ from the scriptures. And we saw that in Thessalonica. You can go back to verses 2, 3, and 4. You see there, Paul explains from the scriptures that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And he does this here in Berea. What a faithful man. But what amazes me as well is Paul doesn't allow his circumstances to control him. How many of us would go back to an area that every time we went there, we were persecuted? Would we go back and back and back? I think eventually we would become discouraged, despondent, and we might even throw the towel in. But not Paul. He doesn't allow his circumstance to control him. He keeps proclaiming the gospel of Christ because he knows that salvation is not in him. He's just the messenger. Salvation is unto the Lord. And he's just serving by being a messenger. 
And the saving is not in the preacher, it's in the preaching of His Word. That's where the authority lies, in His Word. And here he comes to Berea, he goes into the synagogue, and there in the synagogue are noble-minded Jewish believers. And they give him a fair hearing. They're unselfish in letting him come in and hear the gospel. And we find them there listening and receiving the word from the sacred scriptures with all eagerness or readiness of mind. Who's prepared them all? God, in His sovereignty, has prepared the hearts of the Bereans to listen to the Word, and, and He has prepared Paul's heart to bring the message. What an encouragement it must have been for Paul to come to the synagogue, and there they are ready to give him a fair hearing of the sacred Scriptures. They, they receive the Word with eagerness. And there's a lesson here for us as well is that we should pray when we're going to take the gospel out to a friend or maybe someone has phoned you up and they want to hear the gospel, they want to hear from the scriptures why you believe in this God, why you follow Him, why do you worship Him. And you should pray. Just like Paul asked for prayer in Colossians. Chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray that God will go ahead and prepare that, that, that heart, the soil for receiving the seed that's going to be sown or the word that is going to be sown into the heart of that person. And if it's a religious person in the context of someone that calls himself a Christian, then challenge them to bring their Bible with. You take your Bible with. And you get him to open up to the scriptures where you're going to share the gospel from. But we need to pray that, that God will prepare, prepare such things. Half the time we just take it for granted. That God is just going to do this great miracle. Which he can we need to also pray and trust in His sovereignty to save people. He's the one that is sovereignly and providentially preparing the hearts of people. If someone phones you up during the week and says, you know, Mark, or phones me up and says, Mark, please bring me the gospel, I want to hear it. Who's, who, who, who allowed him to phone you? God is the one that stirred up his heart in His providence, in His sovereignty. He's the ruler and controller of the universe. And that should give you a kind of an idea that God is, in a mysterious way, is, is working in this person's heart. And then you go. And you go and witness for Christ. Go and be a noble-minded Christian. Go and share that word with that person. And pray that that person will receive God's word with eagerness. But like I said, do we come here this morning... To receive the word of God with eagerness. Have you come here this morning to receive the sacred scriptures with eagerness, readiness of mind? Do you pray before you come to church? Do you pray for God to prepare your heart to receive the word preached? Our hearts are stubborn, they're stiff, they're, we are stiff necked, they're, they're hard at times, we're rebellious at times.
That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, because we can't do it alone. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we could grow and mature in the Scriptures, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We could easily do it on our own. And maybe that's what we're doing a lot on our own. We're leaning on our own understanding, being wise in our own eyes, and we're creating all these unnecessary problems. It could be health problems, because if you read that, Proverbs 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and he says that if we trust in the Lord, it's good, it's healing to your body, it's good for your bones. Let's look at our second thing that shows us what noble-minded Christians look like. And they examine the Scriptures. But here we see noble-minded Jews examining the Scriptures. They listen to Paul, they, re they receive Paul's word with eagerness, and then they examine the Scriptures. Not just on, a, on, a, on, a, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, but they do it every day, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so, that Paul was sharing. What noble-minded Jewish believers aligned Paul to come. They receive the word and then they examine the scriptures to see what Paul said was true. And they're doing what all of us do. As Paul reasons with them from the scriptures, they examine the scriptures. Why? Because they regard them as the authoritative test of truth. If you want to test truth, it's in the sacred scriptures. If you want to see what someone is saying to you about God and His Word, etc., you can test everything by the authoritative Word of God. It is the truth. David says to God, You are God and your words are true. But do we believe that? Have we embraced the gospel of truth? We've been given the spirit of truth. To help us understand these truths and then speak it back in truthfulness to people around us. You hear me saying often, speak the loving truth with a tender heart. Because that's what we're called to do, speak the truth. But Jesus himself said, he prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yet we somehow ignore the word of truth. To help us in our daily lives and to share it with people and encourage people from the scriptures. God's word is the absolute truth. Our God never lies. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He never lies. He utters no lie. And like I said earlier on, if we take the gospel of Christ to a person and we use the scriptures... It's not us that has the authority. The authority is in our words. Authority is in the word, not in the preacher or the messenger. That's why we preach from the scriptures, not from our figment of our imagination, not from our opinions, not from our indifferences or, or subjectivism, subjectivism, this is what I feel that the Bible says. This is what I know what the Bible says, because the Bible tells me so. Christianity is a mess because we do not revere God's Word. 
We need a calling back. We need a revival in that sense. Is, is we want revival in our churches, but we need a revival to receive this word with, with, with eagerness and respect it if we want revival to start. It starts in our hearts. We should pray that God will revive our own hearts. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Teach me your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your word. That should be our praise. Because all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete equipped in every good work. Good works can only flow from allowing God's word to be saturated in your mind. We all want to be godly. But it starts in the scriptures. It starts with us reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures, but then also examining the scriptures. Go home and examine to see what your pastor said today. Is he telling us the truth? Is he speaking to us the truth from the scriptures? Because a noble-minded Christian is always examining the sacred scriptures when they meet to witness to someone they use the scriptures. When someone challenges them with a doctrine, they are examining the scriptures with that person. And, and it's, it's sad how often someone wants to meet with us. And maybe they have a different view on abortion and a different view on homosexuality. And they call themselves a Christian. And they, say, and they phone me up and they say, you know, Jack, I would like to meet with you because I, I see from the scriptures why well, I'm right and you're wrong. But sometimes we will say, no, Jack, don't bother me. I know what the scriptures believe. I know that abortion and homosexuality is wrong because what the scriptures say, you've got it wrong and that's your problem. Instead of us saying, beautiful, Jack, bring the word. Let's go find a place for a cup of coffee. You bring the word, I bring the word and we examine the scriptures together. And you do not know what happens from there because Paul writes to Timothy and often we get upset with people but Timothy lets us know, or Paul lets Timothy know, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's exactly what's happening with those people. They've been captured by Satan to do his will. They've been caught up in a snare. And yeah, we have the, 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 the privilege to maybe lead them back to the cross, to the truth. But often we just push these people away. I don't have time for you. We need to, we need to go back to the scriptures and we need to examine them. We bring our Bibles to church to do exactly that, to follow the preacher, to see what he says is true. Is he true to the scriptures? Reading around this, someone beautifully wrote, man's words were to be measured by God's word. Man's words were to be measured by God's word. 
You want to measure my words? You measure it according to Scripture. And this is what Paul does. He takes the Old Testament Scriptures to the Bereans. They receive it. And while he talks, they examine it. They reason to see that the things that Paul is saying were so. And Paul would have gone to Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 to prove the Messiah had to die. He would have gone to Psalm 16 to show that the Messiah would rise from the dead. Paul used the scriptures to show the Bereans that the Old Testament prophesied the death and resurrection of the Messiah. He's pointing them to the scriptures because the authority is in the scriptures, not in Paul alone. And we should be imitating the Bereans. We should be faithfully studying God's Word daily, discussing it and testing the messages that we hear. Even if you listen to a message on tape or, or on your phone, you should examine the Scriptures. What the Bereans are showing us is their diligence. They are diligently looking they are looking to the scriptures to obey God and to verify whether Paul is speaking the truth or not. To see if Paul's words were true. I mean, it's the same thing at school. To me and Troy at school and any other school children here, they're at school. Why do you have textbooks? Why, why do you learn from a textbook? So when a teacher teaches you maths, you open up your maths book, and you examine to see what that teacher is teaching you is right. If they start teaching you geography or biology, well, there's something wrong. It's supposed to be math. And it's supposed to be what, what's in my textbook. One plus one is two, not three. So that's why we, 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 that's where we start examining things, what, what our lecturers say, our professors say, if we've studied. And it just comes over into Christianity. It makes sense. That when someone preaches something and you're not sure what he's saying, go to the scriptures and see, wow, that is actually true or that is false. Now you need wisdom to go to the pastor and, and, and say, listen, pastor, why did you say that? This is how I see it. Why do you see it differently? That's how you build relationships with people. That's how you can encourage each other. Iron sharpens iron, so a friend helps a friend. And so we are encouraging one another to remain true, to remain faithful to the scriptures. Luke, what Luke's doing at the end of the day is, he, is he's encouraging all of us to search, to examine the scriptures, which should be a pattern for all of us as true believers. It shouldn't just be for the scholars examining the scriptures and giving us their knowledge. We should also examine what they have to say if you open up a commentary. Examine to see what they say is true. And look what happens. As Paul preaches the word, many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men, meaning there were lots of Greek women as well as men that were saved. And it's all God's doing. Because Paul is faithfully Proclaiming the gospel of truth, Christ, which is the gospel, God saves some Greek women and men and Jews that were there. And we all know it's God's doing. 
And it happens because Paul is reasoning out of the Scriptures. And as he reasons out of the Scriptures, he's given the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do his work and, con and convict people of their sin. To bring them to a, a repentance. It's the Holy Spirit's work to, to turn our hearts from ourselves, our hard hearts, to God. He's the one that causes us to repent, to cry out. To put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God uses his word so that people can trust in Christ. But they need to hear Christ. Christ needs to be preached. And we looked at that as we worked through the book of Acts. We see how faithful Peter was, how Stephen was, how Paul is, how Philip was in preaching Christ, the crucified Christ, the resurrected Christ. That's what the gospel centers around. It's about Him. How often we go out there and it's about us. What God has done for us. There's no harm in starting like that to get a conversation going, but eventually you've got to point them to Christ. Not leave them and, and, and they go away and say, Wow, God is doing a wonderful work in Mark's life. They don't hear the gospel. They just see it's all about me and what He's doing in me. And we forget about actually we're trying to point them to Christ. So Christ can save that person. And sadly, which is the norm for Paul, as he goes from town to town, as he preaches Christ faithfully, always, there's always going to be opposition. Obviously, some maybe saved Jewish folk went back to Thessalonica but somehow the word got back to Thessalonica. They learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea. And these guys are desperate to stop Paul. They're desperate to get rid of Paul. To stop him from preaching Christ crucified. That they even travel 81 kilometers to go and put an end to Paul's life and preaching But Paul manages to escape. Some brothers and sisters who God saved there help him. And they immediately send Paul off on his way to the sea. And Paul ends up in Athens. They don't seem to be after Timothy and Silas. But then Timothy and Silas were Greek. But they're after Paul. Yes, we know Paul was, was, was grew up with a Greek in a Greek family as well, but we know he was Jewish, learning and studying to be a rabbi. And they don't like what Paul has to say. And the same thing can happen for us. There are people out there that don't like the truth. And they will do everything to stop you from preaching or sharing the word with them. They will even say things about your lifestyle. To ruin your reputation, they'll slander you, they'll gossip about you. But let, let's be honest, there is a time when you respect that person's decision. If I go to someone and they say, Mark, that's it, I don't want you ever, ever, ever to bring the gospel to me again. Respect that person. Next time you see them, just keep building that relationship. But there's one thing you can do. And that one thing is you can go away and they can never stop you from praying for their salvation. They can never stop. Because you've sown enough seed into that person's heart for God to start doing a great work of salvation in that person's heart. 
It's a mysterious work. As I preach, I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But if I want to know, I can start doing things to get your attention, to find out what's going on. That's what some pastors do. They will do things to see what your reaction is like. And then they measure themselves by your reaction, how you respond. That's not, that's not preaching the gospel genuinely and sincerely. I have to trust the Holy Spirit with the words to do the secret work in your hearts. And the beautiful thing it does eventually show. We see people coming to the church, people staying, people want to become members of the church. We see people getting involved in the community. We see people coming to home fellowship group. We see people coming to prayer meeting. Those are all outward things that we can see. I love what Colvin said. He said there's two things. There's the visible church, which we all see. But there's the invisible church that only God sees. There's the visible church that we all see each other coming here. But there's the invisible church that God sees and sees alone what's going on in our hearts. So will we come on a Sunday be encouraged to receive God's word with eagerness and to examine the scriptures to see what the pastor is saying is true. Jesus was a noble-minded Jew. He knew the scriptures. He examined the scriptures. He was walking around listening to what, what religious people were saying, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, what the Jewish people were saying. Because he said to them, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Which is kind of true. But then Jesus says, but I say to you. See, he knew they weren't completely true with what they were saying. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, they were focused on outward. But Jesus is focused on inward. Jesus examined the scriptures. He knew that God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearances. It's like me saying to you, you have heard that it was said, you shall come to church. No, I say to you, you come to church with a heart that God sees and loves a heart that has repented and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ a broken and contrite heart a heart that trembles at the word of God because that is what Jesus looks at not at the outward appearance we can dress we can look the place we can even wear the masks and hide behind them but do we come with a heart that God sees that is broken that is, that, is, that is in need of grace and mercy. So these two things that we've looked at this morning, one briefly and one a little bit longer, these two things to help us to see what a noble-minded Christian looks like. They receive the word with eagerness and they examine the scriptures. Will we be like the Bereans? Will we become noble-minded Christians? Will we take our walk seriously? And do the above. Come here on Sundays. Receive the word with eagerness. And examine the words. 
And if it's in Bible study, in prayer, wherever you are, will you do that? Because Christ died on the cross to bring you to His Father, to give you the beautiful gift, the Holy Spirit, to live in you, to illuminate the Scriptures, to teach you the truth, so you can know these truths and examine them according to Scripture, not according to your opinion or your subjectivism. Because the Bible is God's Word, and it's about Jesus, who is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. God's words are powerful, they're effective, and it's our duty and joy as noble-minded Christians to receive the Word and to examine the Word, to grow up, and let's fight the good fight according to the truth and what Scripture says. Let us do that. Let us become noble-minded Christians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you that we can learn from your word, that we can learn from these Bereans who weren't even saved yet, but they were noble-minded Jews. They loved your word and they wanted to hear the truth. Help us, Father, to, be, to, to love the scriptures. To, to love the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, to help us understand the Scriptures and know the truth. Please, Father, forgive us. There are times we are not receiving the Word with eagerness. There are times we are not examining the Scriptures at all. We just believe what everybody says. Please, Father, turn our hearts and our minds back to You and Your Word. Forgive us. Help me and help us all to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Christ. And that is in how we receive the word and how we examine the scriptures. I thank you, Father. Thank you that we can learn from your word. Be merciful to us. Be gracious to us. Encourage us to help each other to fight the good fight from the scriptures and not from, from anything else. Please, Father, help us. We pray that there will be revival in our hearts, that we would turn away our eyes from looking at vanity and allow your word to revive us, to hunger and thirst after righteousness that we may be satisfied in you and you alone as we search and examine the scriptures, that we will not fall to the, to the, to the things of the world and compromise and bend the scriptures, that we would stand up for the truth and fight for the truth and even die for the truth. Be merciful to us, Father. Help us to learn from this great man, Paul, who was a faithful, humble servant, who was willing to lay down his life for the gospel. Help us, Father. Pray in us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.